Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is August 17th, 2020. And we meet each week at this time as an opportunity to bring to greater public attention the work of this planetary service known as Triangles. And we seek to introduce the work to people who are new to it and to aid them in the forming of triangles. And we also seek to provide a platform for those people who are already members of triangles to come together each week and participate with other triangles workers from around the world in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of the planetary network. So if you're new to this work and you resonate to this idea of using the power of your thought with two others, to uplift and transform the consciousness of our entire planet and beyond, because we're told that as our planet achieves a higher level of um, development, that so too does it aid in the establishing of greater flow of light within our entire system. And then as our entire solar system becomes more enlightened, so too do we as a system contribute towards the further evolution of greater systems. So we're all part of a vast interlocking network and triangles is a, a reflection of that on planet Earth. So it's a large, large prospect of work that we're involved in and we really welcome all of you who resonate to it and would like to participate in it. So you can form a triangle by placing your name in the chat box and hopefully two other people will reach out to connect with you. And you can share your email addresses with one another privately um, if you'd like to get in touch more rapidly. So the work of triangles is simply um, a daily visualization technique using the power of thought. Three people agree to link up with their other partners on a daily basis and visualize a lighted, the lighted lines of triangles connecting them one with the other. And then they extend that alignment to all other individuals who are also members of triangles throughout the world. And they visualize themselves as part of a vast planetary network. And they visualize it radiating with the energies of light and goodwill. And then they um, distribute this energy by sounding a prayer, a, a world prayer known as the Great Invocation which is a powerful vehicle for the distribution of the energies. And then as those energies are released through the planetary network, they can find a response, perhaps a subconscious response from all open hearts and minds who can respond to spiritual stimulation when it's released into the atmosphere. So if you um, resonate to this idea, as we said earlier, please do consider forming a triangle. And today we're very fortunate after our meditation to have as our guest Eduardo Granvia from Cordoba, Argentina. He's been on the webinar before, some of you may have heard him. And today he's going to share some thoughts on the oldest and greatest of sciences, astrology. And Eduardo has quite a bit of background in this subject. Um, he's holds a degree in classical philology and particularly is interested in researching the late Hellenistic tradition, particularly hermetic texts and the mystery traditions. And he's studied and practiced astrology for many years and he's published the first book in Spanish uh, called Hermetic Astrology. And he's also quite well known as a translator of the ancient Greek, some of the ancient Greek texts with um, Benjamin Dykes. And he also, which was, I did not know, he teaches ancient religions, myths, and Sanskrit. That is quite an achievement <laughs> in Cordoba. So we really look forward to hearing from you later, Eduardo. But as we always now take a moment of silence to link up with one another as we prepare for a brief visualization.
And let's visualize the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. Now visualize within that sphere a triangle. This is the triangle of the three primary planetary centers. Shambhala, the highest planetary head center. The spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart. And humanity the planetary throat center. Visualize the circulation of energies flowing in all directions around the triangle from point to point, merging and blending the three points, filling the triangle with light. Now superimposed upon that triangle, visualize a five-pointed star. This is the star of the world teacher, linking east and west, past and present, radiating the energy of love wisdom. At each point of the star, the sphere, sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. Visualize the energies radiating forth from the center of the star out through these five planetary points. London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo. Visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity, solving its problems, creating right human relations, restoring peace on earth. Now let's visualize a lighted rainbow bridge connecting our group and the group of all triangles workers. 
with the planetary hierarchy. And standing within that sphere, sound on my chin. Radiance are we and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. Thank you, everyone. Let's share a few brief thoughts. It's interesting when we consider the fact of the new astrology that's coming into being. And sometimes we can do that by recognizing that it is an ancient. It is, as the quote mentioned earlier, states the oldest. But what is new is that it's also termed the greatest of scientists, sciences. And perhaps that isn't the understanding that many people hold today. But the Tibetan gave forth that idea, I think, in recognition that the new coming Aquarian age, which will be governed by the fifth ray in one, its predominant energy will be the governing by the fifth ray, the ray of concrete science. So perhaps we'll see that this statement of defining the astrology as the greatest of sciences will come into greater outer recognition during this incoming age. It's interesting to know that the Tibetan says that the science of triangles will be the preeminent, um, the most important part of this new science and that it will gain its footing in the world most readily through triangles. And if you've ever read uh, the book Esoteric Astrology, you'll know that there were many, many different triangles that the Tibetan speaks of in that book. And so one wonders which, which of these many triangles will garner the greatest attention of the astrologers in the world today and why they will come to be drawn to this new science because of this very um, ancient, ancient and old technique, I would imagine, of using triangles. And I think Eduardo will mention something about this in his presentation because he, as I mentioned, is one who has studied the ancient uh, teachings of astrology, the Hellenistic school. But esoteric astrology is part of the ageless wisdom, and therefore we recognize that it's it's a timeless science. It it's didn't emanate from any one person on our planet, but rather it um, stems from a tradition that we don't know where it began. It's timeless. And so there is an entire section in the book, which he said is the most important section, that is the teaching on triangles. And I, I just wanted to mention couple of things in relation to this. Um, the basic triangle that we highlight each week in our visualization is that between the highest head center on our planet, uh, the most important triangle on our planet is consisting of Shambhala, the head center, hierarchy, the heart, and humanity, the throat. And this is a, a, a triangle a three-way um, interrelationship, we're told, as we're entering into the Aquarian age. For the first time, 
in planetary history. And we've mentioned this numerous times uh, in the webinar because that really is perhaps the most fundamental triangle. And the fact that it is coming into a three-way interrelationship, meaning that there is a flow of energy going in all three directions for the first time so that humanity is no longer only receptive to energies from the planetary heart center, the hierarchy, the center of divine love. But for the first time in planetary history, humanity itself is becoming not only responsive to energies pouring in from the highest head center, but also we're told that the activities that are being undertaken within the human kingdom, among humanity, is being noticed by the So that's quite interesting. We have a say, and we are responsive to the highest impressions, and they too are taking note of us. So the work of triangles, I'm sure, is one of those activities that is generating light in the planet. So those high, high great lives in our planet don't take note of our daily lives or our small activities undertaken by individuals, but they can um, take note of group activities and perhaps large group activities uh, that generate light and goodwill, such as triangles, would definitely be um, noted by them. So all we can do to spread this network and make it more powerful, help to make humanity more powerful station of light within our solar system and beyond uh, behooves all of our greatest efforts. <clears throat> and one of the reasons why humanity is becoming increasingly responsive to this highest energy of spiritual will is because many of you may know in the long, long history of life on our planet Earth, humanity was only subject to two influxes or impacts, they're called, from this highest head center. Many, many uh, millions of years ago in the ancient Lemurian civilization, which predated the Atlantean civilization, there was an impact from this uh, solar angels, but also coinciding with an impact from Shambhala, which awoke in, uh, the seed of mind in the animal men of that day. And that really set us on the path of uh, leading towards enlightenment. And then many millions of years passed and in the ancient Atlantean civilization, we're told there was another impact from this highest head center. So they're very far and few between ancient Lemuria, ancient Atlantis. And then in the last uh, years, since 1945, at the close of the World War, when the world teacher made the pronouncement of his decision, his irrevocable decision to return to outer form. Um, that was announced in 1945. The great invocation, the prayer that we use in triangles was given out. And there was a Shambhala impact then, then in 1975, and then in the year 2000. So in the long, long millions of year history of humanity, there were only two. And then in the last 70 years or so, there have been three. So if you do the math, you can sense how powerful have these last decades been. And what they hold for our planet are only being tapped in a very small way at this moment. Because these impacts are so vast that they will unfold over many, many years to come. So I think that this, these impacts are the greatest reason why this planetary triangle is coming into full functioning activity, we're told only for a limited time, not forever. So um, there are important events unfolding in our world and this three-way interrelationship is, is perhaps the underlying reason uh, that this is occurring. So why don't we now, with those thoughts in mind, move into our meditation. We come together in group fusion, linking in thought as a soul, a 
point of love and light with all people throughout the world who are working with this Triangles Meditation Group. Let's lift our thoughts and consciousness into the highest center, Shambhala. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Not shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow man. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network. Now lift your consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy. (laughs) 
and also at the heart of each triangle. Precipitation, visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness, and establishing right human relationship. Sound the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve, and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Prior to sounding the great invocation, let's consider the work that will be done by the words as they're poured out. And as we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, 
as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. Now we'd like to welcome Eduardo. Hello, Eduardo, can you hear me? Yes, Kathy. Hey. It's great. great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you. Really appreciate it. Um, and so we're going to ask a few questions and hear your wisdom related to them. Um, as we mentioned earlier, astrology is said to be an ancient science, and uh, the Tibetan even spoke of those ancient days in which it was so accurate and the right computations were known. Are there historical or literary testimonies thereof? Well, uh, it is a good point of departure. When we consider the historical records, interesting facts emerge, though not necessarily in complete agreement with the ancient teachings, according to which astrology is an ancient inheritance, its antiquity going back in time beyond any scholarly consideration. Mm. And both Blavatsky and the Tibetans state that we should find its origins, as you said, in the very beginnings of civilization, so I thought it would be interesting to reflect a bit upon its past. Uh, 
what we today know about, about astrology, namely the use of astrological signs, houses, planets, aspects, and systems of prognosis of, or prediction, was already discernible in what we today call Hellenistic astrology. That, that there was a complex tradition of Greco-Roman astrology which developed and was practiced in the region of the Mediterranean Sea from the first century before Christ. Its origins, it is believed, can be traced back to ancient Mesopotamia. The first testimonies about divination by the stars appear in tablets from the Sumerian period toward the end of the third millennium BC, in which we find records of astronomical observations correlated with uh, terrestrial events. And one interesting thing, those ancient compilations in cuneiform tablets, like the famous Enuma Anuenlil, it is a book of computations found in an ancient library, mm. did not focus on individual horoscopes, but on affairs mm. of groups, and the figure mm. of the ruler being only considered as the representative of a nation. It also dealt with meteorological phenomena, earthquakes, and so on. So no traces of a difference between what we call astronomy and astrology were to be noticed then. The Acme seems to have been the seventh century BC during the Neo-Syrian Empire, though a great systematization of astrological methods had already been achieved during Hammurabi's creation of the ancient Babylonian Empire. And apparently the same process of unification by which several traditions are integrated into a let's say pan-Mesopotamian identity is accomplished in the astrological field as well. But this fifth century BC turns out to be of crucial importance for the history of astrology because the zodiac consisting of 12, sign, 12 signs of 30 degrees each is historically considered to be a development of this era. Imagine, by, the, by that time, Buddha had, had already trodden the earth and classical Greece was thrive, thriving. Mm. And we should be careful here, as these are the historical and literary testimonies. Blavatsky includes a whole chapter in the Secret Doctrine on the Antiquity of the Zodiac, which far exceeds these records. Mm -hmm. And, as you said, the Tibetan states that the thought forms of the zodiacal signs were anchored upon the mental plane by the hierarchy in ancient Atlantis, mm. also indicating that the theory of the zodiac is based on the great illusion, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, did, and didn't, doesn't the Tibetan also says that there were, was a time when there were 10 signs and a time when there were eight signs of the zodiac? Well, yeah, it, it, it has to do with a certain overlapping of constellation. Yeah. Um, there are testimonies of that, uh, the 10 sign zodiac. In, in many ancient writings also, like those of Manilius, there's a system of 10 signs. And, uh, but I, I really find interesting uh, that... Um, well, you said the Tibetan claims that astrology is the oldest and greatest of sciences. Yeah. But you know, even those written testimonies extant suggest that astrology is of a far remote past. You know, yeah. there are certain expressions in those texts, like, as the ancients say. Mm. So the question arises, who were those ancients? You know? Uh, the extant texts and written manuals, the oldest, the oldest dating from the first century BC, already give a complete and developed set of techniques. So this suggests us that even when they mention the legendary mythical founder, the famous Hermes, mm -hmm. Hermes Trismegistos, the mm -hmm. thrice great Hermes, you know, mm -hmm. there might have been a whole school at work before that time. And there are latest discoveries in Egypt. Some papyri were found in some temple, the Temple of Tiptonis, which suggests that there was a well-established practice before that period, which leaves us the doubt as to whether those ancients mentioned in, in the text were the Egyptians. Who knows? I'm, I'm simplifying a bit, and someone might even know that I have not even mentioned Jyotish or Vedic astrology. Right. This is another historical problem. Let me say that 
the, uh, the, the secret doctrine places the whole origin of the fifth Aryan race in ancient Sanskrit culture and civilization, which then spread throughout the Mediterranean. So we always have a disagreement between historical and esoteric records. Yeah, yes. Um, <clears throat> both Blavatsky and the Tibetan master hint that astrology is the soul of what we now call astronomy in the same way as esoteric psychology is the soul of physiology. When did that distinction appear and were both disciplines the same in ancient times? Quite so, quite so. For the ancients, uh, and this is interesting to take into account, <clears throat> the observation of the sky with all its difficult computations when, when devoid of the purpose of finding meaning or significance behind those efforts was completely useless, meaningless. Since ancient Mesopotamian times, astrology and astronomy were, were one. In fact, in Mesopotamia, the astrologers were the priests, the Baru priests. In Greek-Egyptian astrology, the expert in astronomical computations and interpretation was the mathematician. So mm. astrology was called the mathematical art. Yeah. And the first distinction between the two first glints in Mesopotamia in the 7th century BC when computations and observations gave way to recording them, recording them in ephemerides and those who interpreted the celestial positions no longer needed to make observations and computations each time they needed to make interpretations. Mm -hmm. So with such records they could predict events far in the future. But the most explicit dis distinction came in the second century when Claudius Ptolemy from the, the Alexandrian library mm -hmm. wrote one book for computations as distinguished from another one for interpretations. This was done to facilitate learning. This distinction allowed the later Christian theologians to condemn one part of astrology and approve of the other. They were worried about the immortal soul in man, which they said it, it should remain free from the influence of the stars. And this is, a, I, I think the, the following is key. It is important to know that the distinction between astronomy as respected science and astrology as superstition is a result, I would say, of an epistemological reorientation during this, the 18th century, the so-called Enlightenment, and certainly did not exist until that time. Mm. You know, astronomy was used in Pythagorean circles who appreciated the double meaning of nomos, astronomy, nomos, as law and musical melody. And we know that for Pythagoras, the cosmos was conceived as a musical instrument mm. and the distances of the planets were literally musical intervals. Mm. So Plato, following the Pythagoreans, used astronomy. Aristotle decided to use astrology. But you know, most of the Greek astronomers were followers of Plato. Therefore, this term acquired its, its authority while Paradoxically, the term astrology was used by Aristotle, began mm. to refer to the most superstitious side of, the, of this discipline mm. by the end of the Middle Ages. It's, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's, it is important to remember that uh, mundane or world astrology was practiced within the church. It is suggested by St. Thomas. But it seems that the fact of the individual horoscope was seen as seen as highly controversial by the church. Mm. Well, that leads to the next question. The Tibetan master states that astrology in the future will not be focused on the individual horoscope. Can we know when this interest in the individual horoscope originated? Well, you just answered that, yeah. Did astrology once deal with more global matters? Well, you've addressed that, but you can probably have more to say on it. Yeah. Well, um, let me say that astrology uh, was, in its beginnings, at least, at least its known or recorded beginning, solely 
only concerned with global matters. Mm -hmm. I think this is a very important point. Those ancient records of phenomena pointed to the state as a whole, to great groups, or at least to the king as its representative. So astrology was a stately matter, and sooner or later, astrologers were found working under royal patronage. And the 5th century BC turns out to be of crucial importance for the history of astrology. It was at this very moment that naval astrology, namely individual horoscopes, appear. The oldest extant individual horoscope is now kept in Oxford, in the Bodleian Library. Mm. And you know, it dates back to 410 BC. Wow. So it, it all seems to indicate that those astrologers who used to forecast for the state for some reason began to translate that concept to individuals observing the celestial map at the moment of the individual birth. So one may really wonder why this shift to natal astrology to the individual horoscope took place. Political reasons, was it the weakening of a central government by which certain individuals who are not kings became the focus of an astrological prediction previously restricted to rulers? Was it simply that the priests no longer counted on royal support, thus, thus being compelled to work for powerful individuals? So the, the development of natal astrology, the individual horoscope, seems to have been connected with also with the introduction of ephemerides around the same time. You know, the, the astrologers did not, make to, did not need to make observations. They just had to have the right tables. And the practice was taken to Egypt and eventually to the Greek island, of course, where astrology then developed associated with the Stoic philosophy and on the basis of hermetic writings. So, as we can imagine, the somewhat individually centered spirit of Greek culture mainly developed natal astrology, that is, the individual horoscope. And this tradition we have received via the Arabs, you know. Do you think there's still a long way to go before astrology will be taken seriously in our contemporary world? Oh, well, what a question, yeah. <laughs> I think the first, you know, the first symptoms of decadence and misuse of astrology were already to be seen in ancient Rome. Some mm -hmm. stories told by Roman historians about astrologers are almost sinister, such as the casting of horoscopes by certain astrologers working for emperors like Tiberius with the aim of detecting those who could compete with them and therefore going about killing them. Mm. Edicts banishing the practice of astrology were just meant to avoid competition with the royal astrologers. That was until the church came and the Christian emperor Justinian banished all mystery schools in the sixth century and one of the councils of the church declared astrology a heresy in 365. So astrology continued to be practiced by great minds, even within the church, and great astronomers in history are known to have been astrologers, as we know. Mm -hmm. Some university curricula up to the Renaissance included astrological studies. But in the second half of the 17th century, things began to change. The Copernican revolution had introduced the heliocentric theory. Newton had extended the influence of the force of gravity to all corners of the universe. So astrology was sort of crushed amidst two fronts. On one side, those traditionalists who defended the Aristotelian model, and on the other, the mechanistic natural philosophy, which refused to work with those qualitative principles apparently based on presumptions which cannot be empirically demonstrated. And so this is how astrology, which had been part of the scholarly sciences up to the Renaissance, began to be marginalized from scientific, well, the scientific yeah. field. I'm simplifying a bit, as you can imagine. But however, at the time when Blavatsky was writing The Secret Doctrine, a new group of European scholars began to gather and catalog all the extant astrological writings found in European libraries. Mm -hmm. 
This eventually led to a whole field of studies within universities, which considered the research on the history of astrology, magic, and divination in general as extremely important for the, for the understanding of the ancient world. This field is growing stronger nowadays, yeah. but the pride of the scholarly environment did not allow any kind of connection with experience of those many serious practicing astrologers, some of them mentioned by the Tibetan, who could well have brought much light on those studies. So here we are now, on one side, a whole field of scholarly research unfolded by those who still consider astrology a superstition, but who were able to collect a monumental amount of information on its history, which the, they do not share with the other side, those open-minded and practicing astrologers who think that astrology holds a key to the understanding of the universe. So no one has been able to heal that bridge up to this moment. Slight mm. changes are slowly seen. You know, when I presented my thesis on ancient astrology, quite a few scholars raised key questions and wondered whether this misunderstanding should, misunderstanding should really go on. And did you know that, um, well, you know that we are approaching an era in, in which those two great planets, uh, Jupiter and Saturn, mm. will, will have conjunction in air signs after two centuries yeah. and a half of meeting in earth signs. Yeah. William Lilly, a Renaissance English astrologer, said that when these conjunctions are given in air signs, astrology will begin to be recognized and respected. Yeah, good. We have had a bridging conjunction in 1982. Formally, the first of these conjunctions will take place in December this year. So we might have... Hoped. On the solstice. <laughs> on the winter solstice. Yeah. Exactly. You're right. On the winter solstice. In zero oh, degrees oh, Aquarius. For me, it's the summer solstice. But oh, it's right. solstice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, that's a great symbol, I think, of Aquarius, of the Aquarian age, you know, really. I, I know, yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, three very important conjunctions occur this year. Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter, yes. Pluto, and finally, the great historical conjunctions of the great chronocrators, they are they're called, Jupiter and Saturn. Yeah. The first one, Saturn, Pluto, combines third and first ray, as yeah. you know, yeah. and has a connection with expression and structure of power in the world. So I think one should expect a redistribution of power on a global yeah. scale. Yeah. Uh, Some of the ancient astrologers thought of uh, Saturn as representative of the people. And I think oh. that's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it has to do with the, 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 the most concrete aspects of society. Yeah. People included, of course, and uh, um, I think that there will be also a disclosing of some dark aspects of power and money. I, I, yes. But it, it also, I also think that it marks a period of intense regeneration and transformation. And I think mm -hmm. it will be a great opportunity to reinvent ourselves, to, to search mm -hmm. for new ways. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the old structures under this conjunction, now, it appears that the old structures cannot be a hindrance anymore. Right. They have to give way to new possibilities. Yes. So that's where the urge to wield power is exposed under this conjunction. And it is curiously enough the moment when conspiracy, conspiracy <laughs> theories appear, thus yes. revealing certain unrest. It took place in uh, exactly in 1914 when, when the first world war was launched mm -hmm. and occurred again at the close of, a, of, the, of the second one, when a new structure of power was emerging, yeah. the International Monetary Fund launched its activities formally, and then it happened again in 1982 when internet came into the world scene, as well as the HIV virus, among other things. Yeah. Yeah. But Jupiter and Saturn, I think, is especially important. This conjunction has been the indicator of historical periods since the times of Persian astrology. This combination of second 
and third ray, am I right? Yes. Second yes. Jupiter and the yes. third ray Saturn yes. has been taking place since the industrial revolution in Earth science, yes. with very few exceptions, thus encompassing the rise of capitalism and the concept of material wealth. And in December, the era of conjunctions in air signs will be inaugurated as it yes. will take place, as you know, in Aquarius. So though from the point of view of form and matter, it signals a change of values from money to data, data another upsurge of technology and it's, maybe it's binding power also, the questioning of capitalism, the emergence of world powers in Eastern lands, we should not forget that Aquarius, the sign in which many conjunctions will take place during the next 200 years, has Jupiter as esoteric ruler. Yes. So yes. we will see, I think, new opportunities for, I, I would translate it as the opportunity for anchoring the energy of love, love wisdom on Earth, mm -hmm. as well yes. as the emergence of a new concept of community and cooperations. You know, some astrologers consider this period as a sort of rehearsal of the new age. I believe that a new concept of knowledge and learning may appear, as well as a deeper understanding of the power of thought. Yes. You know, air science, thought, yes. as an energy which unifies all spheres of living. Yes. And if I, let me finally say that, as you said at the beginning, all we know about planetary configurations is of a most basic nature, as the astrological key to the ancient wisdom, we are told, has not been given yet. So the suggested lines of research in esoteric astrology indicate that the, the most important part of the astrological study is, as you said, the science of triangles, yeah. which has not yet been incorporated, in fact, yeah. and to the astrological practice. The, so the fact that the entire cosmic web and the solar system is an intricate, constantly moving, in, interwoven network of triangles with, with each point emanated a certain kind of energy, yeah. I think it has profound astrological implications, which we must eventually become aware of. You know, how do we account for that major triangle of energies coming from the Great Bear, Sirius and the Pleiades, for instance? Yeah. You know, many things are said to be of great importance, which are not only considered, not, not even considered by modern astrologers. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some of the time we could bring up this subject and reflect on how we can apply some concepts yeah. to the astrological practice. Yeah, and he relates that basic triangle to a whole series of other triangles, as you know, one of which is Shambhala hierarchy and exactly. humanity. And the planets would be Saturn, Uranus, and Mercury. So there's obviously a really close relationship between all of those interlocking triangles and I think one really interesting point that the Tibetan sort of makes fundamentally us aware of is the idea that triangles step down the energies that are too intense to be able to be assimilated by lesser beings. And um, so that's one of the ways that we can understand triangles is uh, we could never really just be receptive to Shambhala without the mediating aspect of humanity over these millennia, you know, but now we're becoming more receptive to its impact ourselves, but all triangles are for mediating principles. And that's very interesting. That, 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 that is a key thought, I think, yeah. that the mediating power of triangles. Yeah. Uh, we, we should really think of really much more about triangles when, yeah. there are so many, so little, uh, of, of, of the concept of triangles in, 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 in uh, the astrology, modern yeah. astrology, maybe yeah. the triplicities. Yeah. I can think of the triplicity of earth, air, and uh, fire, and, uh, and, and, and air signs, but not more than that. Yeah. And, you know, the Tibetan mentions the triangles of planets, of constellations. Yeah. Uh, and, and mixtures thereof, you know, sometimes he, yeah, he combines exactly. them. And I think one of the ones that we could work with 
that he seems to highlight that we should pay attention to in the charts of ordinary human beings, which we don't really do much, and I think we could do in, in our triangles work, in our full moon work, I mean, is the, it says that we always work with the opposites, which I think we were highlight, I was highlighting last week or so, you know, we're going into the Aquarian age, and so this Leo energy is extremely important, the Tibetan highlights. But he also says somewhere else in the book that we should always bring Gemini in as the mediating point between the opposites. And so even in our full moon work, when we're working with the sun in one sign and the moon in the opposite sign, perhaps we should be working a little bit each month with the second ray energy of uh, Gemini. Yeah, G Gemini is a key sign. Yeah. The, the agreement and conciliation of opposites, you know, yes. the, the great, the great sign of the two columns. Yeah. Uh, in so many temples, in Freemasonry, in, yeah. in in so many fields. Now, and and, and the fact that Venus esoterically, yeah. esoterically rules yeah. um, Gemini, and Venus being uh, said by the secret doctrine to be the alter ego of the yes. earth. Yes. Holds a position uh, in the, the same position as the soul to the personality. It's, That's it's why I think it's really important to watch the cycles of Venus and to observe the Venus Sun conjunctions as a higher yeah. aspect of the full moon. Uh, and I would, I would take it a little further, not only yeah. conjunctions. The ancients, and this is something the ancients may teach us, considered all the relationships between Venus and Mercury with the Sun. Yes. They called yes. it flyical phases. Yes. So in, in many ancient cultures, not only European ones, but also the Mayan ones in Central, Central America, they, they sort of, they, they paid much attention to the position of Venus with respect to the sun, yes. its elongation, its conjunction, when it's... It's, it's, it's pentagram, it's pentagram, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And when a Venus is a morning star, yeah. when it is an evening star, yeah. when it emerges from the, from the heart of the sun, it is yeah. called. Yes. I think there are many clues there. Yes. Yeah, because it's a, a moment for soul contact, a more uh, opportune time for soul contact. Yeah. And the same in our own charts, probably with progressions of Venus and the sun in our own horoscopes are key times. Yeah. But we're almost, well, we are running out of time. Uh, just let's see if there's any hands raised or any pertinent uh, one. We could do one or two from the audience, and we apologize for hogging. I apologize for hogging the show here with Eduardo. Uh, thank you, thank you. I'll send you the chat, Eduardo, so you can read okay. it afterwards. Um, Let's see. There's some things here. If you want to to choose one or so, I, I, there's one from Ellie. I don't know. Let's see. Ellie, do you see that one it's near the bottom? It's not really a question; it's a comment. Aquarius sign of the humanitarian, Pluto, Saturn, Jupiter, old outworn forms and structures are going to be tested and torn. You mentioned that. Oh, what? You know, Aquarius is a sign, is a, is a subject, just the sign of Aquarius. We can, yes. We could, we could do another up. webinar on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from the point of view of traditional astrology ruled by Saturn, yes. it has Uranus as um, exoteric ruler and Jupiter as esoteric. Yes. Yeah, uh, whole field there. Yes. You know the concept. I think that we we must be pre prepared to to the serious questioning of how um, the economic system works, uh, how a new concept of community of sharing may appear. Now, yeah. um, Aquarius. Uh, you know, it's, uh, from the point of view of traditional astrology, it's not a very light sign. It, um, you know, it has a Saturnian influence. Yes. But, but a Saturnian influence 
also implies that uh, the there, there are certain laws that has to be taken into account, certain balance, yeah. certain justice and equilibrium that has to be has to emerge. It's coming mm. down from the mountaintop and concretizing the vision, and that's not easy. So it's, no. Yeah. There's a, a comment here by Ellie. Let's see. Unmute. Hello, Ellie. Hi. What a great, a great talk. Thank you so very much, Eduardo and Kathy. Thank um, you. Please come back again. There's, there's so much to unpack right now, but what I wanted to kind of expand on after my several comments is that this is such an opportunity for humanity. And um, as somebody with, um, you'll laugh, a, a, a son at 2251 Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good luck. <laughs> I'm just being hit by it personally, but the point really is that the, you're absolutely right. This is the opportunity for the world to, especially with this virus, everybody is affected. There's no, no money can buffer you. No power can buffer you. You, you can right. run, but you can't hide. And this is the point where everybody, just like with climate change, where we have to say, we are together as humanity and if we're not together we're not going to make it so we have to get together we have to take these principles that most of us hold dear a love and peace and goodwill and, and and you know the the idea that if there's even one person on this planet suffering i'm suffering too yeah because they're my brother and my sister you know and yeah. act on these these principles so what a great talk again thank you i i could engage with you personally for an hour probably as a lay student of about 40 some years uh, but um yes let's let's all all of the workers seize the opportunity know know ourselves know your own chart if you, it can help you not to depend on it but for personal growth uh, watch the charts of nations and then um heliocentric uh astrology is a whole nother ball game but uh there there's so much knowledge there for us for the taking you know so thank you thank, thank you. you you know uh, the the famous claudius Ptolemy once said a very famous phrase major causes always overpower the minor causes mm. so when something global happens there is no individual individual horoscope. There are only global matters. And this was said in the se second century hmm. in the, the Alexandrian Library, and he was right. Yeah. The major causes prevail over the minor causes. Someone said in the chat that we're just hitting the, the tip of the iceberg, and I, I'm afraid that we always hit the tip of the iceberg. And yeah. as regards this knowledge, the, the the key to the astrological sciences will be known in the future it has not been given yet but at least we can share thoughts that's yeah. that's what the things we're we're doing here yes and as you say we'll come back to this hopefully many times in the webinars to come so thank you i know i speak for us all thank you so much eduardo and let's just end by linking with all triangles workers uh, throughout the world with a moment of silence. Thank you. Thank you.